I'm Romana Ramzan and welcome to our game design panel, part of the BAFTA Scotland sessions, supported by Screen Scotland. This is a virtual series to celebrate some of the nominees and nominated programmes from this year's British Academy Scotland Awards. Before we get started, just some general housekeeping. These virtual events are part of BAFTA's learning work to share expertise from film, games and television uh, with audiences far and wide. So check out BAFTA.org as well as BAFTA social channels uh, for more activity and news. You can also join the conversation on social using the hashtag Scotland Sessions and you can ask your questions as well. So please use the Q&A function on Zoom to send those in and I will remind you throughout um, just in case somebody forgets. Um, closed captioning is also available now um, which you can turn on at the bottom of your screen. And now let's get started. I would like to welcome our speakers, Gary Penn for Autonauts, Thomas Welsh for Cloudpunk and Tony Gowland for Dead End Job. Congratulations on your nominations guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much. How does it feel to be nominated for this piece of work? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll come to you, Tony. Uh, it's cool. Um, yeah, like it's, it is really, really good. Um, like we spent, uh, I, I spent about two and a half years or something with Dead End Job, like working on it. Um, so it's like really awesome to kind of kind of see it recognized and stuff yeah Fantastic. it's nice and uh, Tom how about yourself it's really exciting for me um, I'm just one part of a team um, but I can talk the most <laughs> so it's probably one of the reasons that I'm here um, I was the lead writer and the narrative designer on Clydepunk and it was my first uh, kind of big game project I did smaller things but this is the first one where I feel like I'm a big part of it I guess so it was really exciting for me yeah it's great what a fantastic first one to be part of then all right yeah <laughs> and Gary how about yourself it's cool it <clears throat> the best thing about it is it shows someone's paying attention which I really <laughs> like so obviously we've got the audience paying attention which is great but you know the fact that you've got some somebody like BAFTA paying attention as well that makes definitely. it super cool definitely so tell me something what do you all enjoy and love about working in Scotland Oh, that, that, for me, that's really easy. Um, community. So for me, it's it's um, having moved from from uh, England what to over twenty years ago now. Um, it's the, the the biggest difference you notice is it's how small uh, a, a country can feel like a, a village. I guess is the best way of, of looking at it. So Aaron and I we've been working on Autonomous for like three years now, and that's been a sort of up and down. For us, um, and and as uh, just an ex as an example of community, we've had other developers putting us up in their offices, which has been really nice. Um, but we've had no offices to go in, um, and it's things like that. So if you want to find people, there's all you know you can find people to to, uh, to help out, to talk to, etc. Um, and I think that's what what I mean by the village aspect of it. It feels like they're just around the corner, as it were. Yeah. And it's for me very easy to forget that you're actually in such an amazing country. Mm -hmm. um, because it doesn't feel so so close well that's nice to hear that's that's really nice to hear that <laughs> and uh, yeah. what about yourself what's the one thing that you would say you love about working up here <laughs> yeah um it's kind of the same answer really like i i do think um so i'm like same as Garrett. like i moved up to scotland about uh 10 years ago and like it is the same thing of like when we started our workshop um it 
you just feel like there's a lot of people around to chat to and a lot of um there's a, like a really good, strong heritage of people that have been doing independent game development for a really long time over like multiple generations of hardware and stuff and people that so that all of this kind of like experience and knowledge that um and people just like super friendly at kind of sharing it as well and like there's there's always like that kind of like friendly rivalry and stuff of like oh what what are different people doing and what are the different companies doing and who's kind of who's coming up in the scene and all that sort of stuff but um it's just really like it's really really nice and there's like i mean obviously not this year but I'm most sorry. years there are, it's like really fantastic um kind of social events and um like events like the the things that like we throw switches put on and stuff like that that's um yeah it's just really a really nice community mm-hmm. tom how about yourself I guess, like, if I don't say the people now, because Tony <laughs> and Gary have both said that, I sound like a total misanthrope. I'll be like, I don't really care for the people in Scotland. <laughs> no, I think that's such a great answer. I had such a rubbish one. I was going to say the rain. <laughs> like, um, it's great if you're a writer and you can sit at a rainy window and look out at it because, you know, um, it's inspiring. All the work that I've written has been, like, hugely influenced by the rain, Cloud Punk. It's just a game that's just defined by being in a cyberpunk city that's very rainy um it's very aesthetic and yeah it's great going out for walks in the rain as well with your headphones on but obviously my real answer is the people so it's about the people in the community people make glasgow tom did you did you miss the billboard something about smiles yep we don't get much rain on the east coast no Uh, fair enough (laughs) yeah i remember from my dundee days you definitely don't glasgow's a completely different climate system um, so, I mean, you mentioned, obviously, this year has been very different, Tony. So, you know, 2020 has, has definitely changed the way in which we all work. Um, how do you think that's impacted, um, you know, upon the film, the games, the TV industry? And how do you think it's going to impact it going forward as well? Um, well, it's, I mean, I, I certainly can't speak for uh, film or TV, but like in terms of the game stuff, like, it has felt like there's, um, I mean, there's been just like a lot fewer events to go to and it's felt like it has been a bit harder to keep up with what's going on. Like usually at these kind of events, it's like you'll meet up, you'll go to something and it's like you bump into people and chat and you'll just kind of find out like, okay, they're working on that project, they're working on that. And that's where like these little opportunities to kind of collaborate and work together often spring up from um, and certainly like I've found that a lot harder this year, like there's been kind of virtual events and stuff, but it's it's often not quite felt the same. Um, it's yeah. just been a bit harder to kind of get that kind of like business development stuff going. Um, and I mean, like obviously earlier in the year, like there's the big kind of practical challenge of if you're working with hardware that um, you're not really allowed to take out of the office, <laughs> working from home does present some challenges um so yeah we've we've kind of a, a lot like everyone has um like all the console manufacturers have, have kind of gone pretty good about that now um so yeah there was certainly some challenges there and just and then like you trying to make sure that your staff and everyone in the team are kind of everyone is still not just sat in a room by themselves day in day out and kind of people are, are, are still kind of like trying to keep their heads up a bit and yeah it's it has definitely been 
challenging. Mm. Definitely. Gaddy, Tom, do you feel the same? Um, well, from my, my point of view, it's um, it's not been massively different in that we've, <clears throat> at Denki, we've been doing sort of homeworking for, since we started, really. So for us, it's, it's not radically different. Um, I guess a bit more intensively at home than than in the office, and I do miss that. Um, it's definitely that. It's it's never quite the same doing things virtually as it as it as it is in person. You miss a lot of um, of that uh, of, of that physical um, subtlety that you 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 definitely don't get. Um, but in terms of how it affects us moving forwards, um, I think it makes things harder in the short term. Um, without that that physicality, but equally, um, I think it's made people more inventive about how they deal with these things. So I mean, it's it's brought the, the best uh, out in people in some respects, mm -hmm. um, and it's figuring out how to do things virtually. I think it's less of an issue with video games than it is with other media, perhaps, um, because we're, we're kind of used to to sort of working and collaborating in this way. So. I think in many respects, it sort of doesn't change things, it just intensifies it. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Become more similar, sorry, Romana. No, I was just going to say, I mean, you're, you're a bit, your team's a bit kind of obviously distributed. Mm -hmm. So how have you found you know, the whole process? M more like Gary, I think. Mm -hmm. um, I've never met in person any of the other people on my team. It's weird because we have a good relationship and I feel like I know them really well and they're friends and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but we've never met physically and I guess, um, going into the release of, of Cloudpunk was just at a time when um, kind of lockdowns were beginning and it was really hard. So I guess we always kind of planned to meet up at different events and go and promote, uh, you know, at like um, down for the Eurogamer kind of thing. At one point, we we're going to meet there and it, it didn't quite work out. Um, and one of our team members is from Scotland and I didn't realise until like I'd been working with them for, for ages. Um, Rebecca, who's an amazing uh, artist, is Scotland based as well. We're a really small team, but we're all over the place. So it really hasn't affected us, except in the way that like, you know, we're all kind of stuck at home a lot and it makes it harder to work, whether it's creative or technical or any aspect of working at home. It's just hard when you can't go out for a proper mm -hmm. walk or see friends and stuff. It's tough. But we'll, enjoy the well, I suppose I can build with <laughs> that. Yeah, that's still okay. <laughs> Need, so, need more VR interaction, I think. That's it, yeah. Yeah. Or you can get a virtual background with just the rain cascading, which will kind of <laughs> get there. I think um, in a real sense, there's kind of like maybe a question about whether we need to be in offices five days a week, nine to five um, as well. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think that's uh, conducive to good mental health for anyone. So maybe after all of this stuff's finished, there's a chance for us to rethink how, how much time we can spend at home to do some of the work because well yeah. I don't know all the people I know that have worked at home have done a great job so yeah I think it'll definitely make us rethink our working ways that's for sure um so for those of the people that are joining in who might not be familiar with your games can I just ask you all to sort of briefly tell everybody a bit about yourself and also um you know what your game's about so we'll start with start with Tony Okay, uh, I am Tony. I'm uh, the director of a company called Ant Workshop. Um, Ant Workshop's five, six years old, um, I, but I've been in games for about 20 years now. Um, Dead End Job is kind of 
Ghostbusters meets like a 90s Saturday morning cartoon. Um, you play um, a, a guy that's like this kind of Homer Simpson-esque kind of character. He loves his job. Um, he's charging around the place. He gets called out to buildings that are infested with ghosts. He runs around the place, catches the ghosts, smashes everything up, um, and then like uh, gives the people like a massive invoice at the end uh, and earns a lot of money for his um, angry penny-pinching boss. Um, and that's basically it. There's like some other story and stuff in there as well, but that's you're mainly just shooting ghosts over and over again. You need to spend the time. I, 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 played <laughs> it. I've loved, I loved it and I thought it was like a nice sort of homage to kind of like the 80s and things felt very kind of ghostbuster I, I really liked it so it was thank you yeah yeah i mean um, um maybe just chat about the art stuff on it later on but it's like it was very specific like had a kind of very specific kind of feel and like particular cartoons that we were trying to um evoke with it so it's I mean, good the intro, that intro kind of... great. like just the music it just all made me smile and i thought this is this is great so oh yeah i mean yeah again like this so it was one of the things that i always wanted with so a, a cartoon that i i absolutely adored when i was younger was uh, animaniacs um yeah. and it had this absolutely fantastic theme tune to it that just really kind of set the scene for everything that was going on but it was like really irreverent and all that kind of thing um and yeah, it was always one of the things that we wanted for the project was we're going to have this kind of theme tune. And um, it was, yeah, we got really lucky that it was, the lyrics were written by um, a guy called Zalavia Nelson that did like a bunch of our writing mm -hmm. for us. Um, and he's gone on to massive things now, but we got him before he was famous. So that was, I'd like to say that we were the hit maker there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, like he's he's a fantastic uh, comedy writer as well. So like, um, yeah, we got really lucky getting him. Mm -hmm. um, really good, um, Gary. What about yourself? Oh, um, I'm a creative director now at Denki. Um, we've been going for over twenty years now. Um, prior to that, I was at Rockstar DMA Design, um, and then prior to that, so that was that was pure development. And prior to that, I was in publishing. Uh, game publishing at BMG Interactive. Prior to that, uh, I was a freelancer who did pretty much everything. So uh, writing, marketing, PR, game development, um, game publishing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, prior to that, I was a journalist. So I started in 1980, end of 80, beginning of 85. Um, so 35 years ago. Not long then. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I've, I've been around for ages and I've done everything. Um, but thank you specifically, um, Autos is the latest thing we've done. Um, we, there's only two of us these days, there's myself and Aaron Pusey. Um, Aaron does coding and I do everything else. Um, Autonauts, yes. So uh, that started, uh, Aaron was working on a farm uh, with a friend of his and really liked the way uh, all the systems fed back into each other. He's a coder, that's the sort of thing he likes. Um, but he decided it'd be really good fun to do a, a game based on that. Um, so he did this prototype over the weekend, which was uh, actually more of a farming game. And he sort of taught these little creatures to um, to do the jobs for you. Um, but it was very crude and simple, but I really liked it. So it sort of expanded from there. And what we've ended up with now is this game that uh, you kind of have to make yourself redundant, really. You, you teach the robots to do everything for you. 
and um, use a sort of simplistic sort of scratch style programming language to, to uh, teach them how to code. What's lovely about it is you, you can use that, but equally the main focal point for teaching them how to code is actually showing them what to do. Um, we built that over a period of about three, over three years now, uh, just the two of us. And we launched about a year ago, just over a year ago and um, on Steam, on PC only. Um, other versions on the on the cards, which is good. Mm -hmm. um, yes, uh, we have a healthy Discord community as well, which is great fun. They're they're very vocal, very very lovely people as well, which is really nice that we've got this. It actually reminds me of old magazine days when you get a, a really sort of um, warm audience who who not just appreciate what you do, but you know they're really friendly when other people come along and um, they share their experiences, which is great and. They're, they're, yeah, the fact that they're generally really nice people. Mm -hmm. You think all these horrible things going on in the world these days, and we've got this lovely community of of lovely Autonauts players, and this one thing that we made kind of brought everybody together, which is I like that. That's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I've, I've played Autonauts, really enjoyed it, and there's this whole other layer of just learning embedded in there. Um, there is. It's it's ridiculously deep, um, mm -hmm. deeper than we even, even we imagined, and I, I think initially people it's easy to get put off by it at first because there are so many things to do and the tutorial was really hard to do because you can't there's so much to it that you know trying to cram this into a tutorial um is incredibly difficult um but which again which is where the community is brilliant for, for showing people how to do things um and we've kind of buried a load of stuff thinking you know it'd be fun to discover this and and again there's sort of mixed opinions on whether it's a good or bad thing but it's great when you see people finding these things that you'd forgotten about or they figured out their own ways of doing things and I think that's where the, a, a great deal of the depth comes from there are so many different ways of doing the same thing and um, we get lots of this on the on the discord community which is great with people sharing their scripts and the way they're they've built their systems up and, and so on and so on there are an incredible number of ways of doing mm -hmm. the same thing and it's a really nice introduction it's a sort of light introduction into programming in that um, there are elements of programming that aren't covered but the, you know the, the core of it and how to how to sort of make systems and systems that feed into other systems mm -hmm. uh, and how to get this stuff up and running without your help um sort of effectively wind it up and let it go mm -hmm. uh, is, is, is it wasn't deliberately intentionally educational but it's turned out to be actually quite a good tool okay. for that sort of thing and we yeah. get some lovely feedback from from parents who've been sharing it with their kids and and having a great time when they're sitting down to play it and <laughs> what's the age of the kids that you know or what, what age do you think it's appropriate for because like um, my son is five and i was just wondering is he too young for it or no not at all i mean the youngest i think the youngest we've heard of is four i think oh, the parents have helped them out um but a lot of the, as i said earlier the the fact that you can show the robots what to do uh, and the script builds up as you show them what to do if if you're with somebody who can help sort of hold your hand along the way it's sort of ideally built that, that you can do these things at, at pretty much any age. If you can, mm -hmm. I think even if you can't read, you could probably get something out of it because the, the coding can actually work um, just by show and tell. Yeah. Well, there's an activity for us to do during lockdown then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. And uh, Tom, what about yourself? Can you tell us a bit about obviously your background and uh, Cloudpunk as well? Well, again, like um, Tony and Gary have these fantastic, long, illustrious careers. Uh, I, I was told by a teacher at primary school that I was quite good at writing a short story. And then 30 years later, I started writing. So that was basically how that went. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I really started writing seriously um, only about five years ago. And I'm 40 now. So, mm -hmm. you know, it took me a while to get around to it. 
largely due to the really good excuse that I was too lazy. <laughs> but eventually you get to a point where you're like, if I don't uh, do this, then it's not going to happen by itself. And I always thought I would do it eventually. So um, I, I did come from kind of semi-games journalism, kind of blogging about games, and, and uh, I had a wee website, and that was good fun. Um, and I did that with lots of friends and met lots of good people. Um, but at one point, I thought, like, I should uh, try and do something a bit more creative. So I had and a you're, writing. You're, your first venture was sort of into writing your first novel, wasn't it? That's how you dipped your toes in it. Yeah, yeah. I started with something nice and easy. So I wrote a fantasy trilogy, <laughs> 300,000 words or something ridiculous. Um, and it had its whole whole magic system and lots of strange terminology and um yeah so that was called metics fade and that was my fantasy trilogy and uh from there i was like well what else do i want to do um so i wrote some short stories and every time i wrote something short story wise it came out as sci-fi like kind of black mirrory dark sci-fi every time um and that that kind of led me into to some writing gigs for games um so i wrote a little bit for for a game that was quite similar to cloudpunk but it was a limited kind of one-off gig and after I was finished, I was like, that was really good fun and I want to keep doing that. So I sent an email to the lead developer, Marco at Ionlands, who had shown some GIFs of Cloudpunk. And I was like, those GIFs are amazing. And I said, do you need a writer? And he says, nope. <laughs> I says, okay, he's well. Like, yes, I do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I says, well, you know, the, the game looks cool. And he says, well, I tell you what, why don't you send me some writing samples? And he must have liked them because after that, he says, I think we could work together. And it did take a while to figure out if I was actually on the team because we were talking a lot. And at one point I'm like, so am I the writer? Um, <laughs> and, it, and it turns out I was, which is great. So um, quite early on, it was just me and him a lot of the time talking about the, the direction of the game. We decided that we wanted to make something non-violent and about a cool cyberpunk future, but not one where you're a replicant hunting bounty hunter. You're not a cyborg super cop. You're just a regular delivery driver um, and your mundane life is kind of juxtaposed with this amazing setting that, that Marco had set out. So um, I had the best job in the world, really. He had a great game engine and some really cool art to start. And he says, just fill this world with interesting characters and stories. And that's what I did. And, you know, there's a little bits of narrative and choice and design in there as well. But largely Cloudpunk's about all these weird people that you meet in their own little stories. It's like writing you know, a hundred short stories as well as one kind of novella that ties all these stories together and has a main plot line. So yeah, so Cloudpunk, futuristic delivery driver simulator thing. And yeah, I mean, people... yeah, it's a fantastic world. You know, it's 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 really, really nice just to be able to, I mean, I quite enjoy just the fact that you can drive through it, um, you know, and, and spend your time doing that. And it's just visually, it's just so striking as well. So um, and, and, and if we stay on that topic sort of visuals, um, you know, what was the, um, all three games have got very distinctive artwork, you can see that, you know, um, uh, what was your sort of, uh, I mean, I know your background is, is narrative, but can you talk a bit to sort of what the inspiration was and where that sort of came from as well? Well, um, Cloudpunk, although it's not always obvious to people when they play it at first or see kind of little videos it's voxel based so everything's very kind of cubic mm -hmm. and yeah especially on foot in the sections where you're running around yeah, people sometimes describe it as a kind of minecraft aesthetic so it's that kind of look um it's, it's kind of blocky um 
and it, it had more of that at first, you know, it was very clear that it was voxels, but as we kind of layered on more visual effects and flair and stuff, it, it, it took on a really distinctive look. So I don't think it looks like anything else out there, which is cool. And again, that's absolutely nothing to do with me. The art team is just fantastic. We had so many great voxel artists and I think voxel art in itself is kind of this um, unique skill set. Some people are just amazing at it. Um, and again, a lot of these things are voodoo to me. I don't really understand how they work, but that world um, instantly sparks stories in your mind. You know, if you've grown up reading Philip K. Dick or William Gibson or, you know, any kind of sci-fi, any cyberpunk stuff, then as soon as you see that, you just want to fill that world with all these weird characters and stories because it's just so striking, you know? Yeah, no, definitely is striking. And Tori, I know you mentioned earlier when we were talking about it, and I said, you know, it like feels like an homage to kind of the 80s and, and so on. Where did your, I mean, you mentioned that obviously, um, you know, certain cartoons, you know, were the things that kind of inspired you and you wanted to create something from that. But was any, did anyone else sort of feed into that process or were you very set on this is what I want to kind of emulate here and try and capture? No, I mean, so from, yeah, from pretty early on, like the idea was like this kind of, uh, cartoon style um, so and at the time um, I was just working by myself in the game like I'd, I'd made like a prototype of it so you could kind of run around um, and it was just using like some generic uh, sort of tile set like dungeon tile set that I'd found from somewhere um, I very deliberately kept it like kind of programmer art um, so I started looking for an artist um, and I'd met a guy called Joe Blakeston at um at, like develop uh, the develop conference in brighton um like he's sort of friend of friends um and i remember looking at his website and on his website like the sort of header banner on his website is um uh, uh has like a little animated picture of him um completely naked doing a little dance and it was absolutely hilarious and it's like as soon as i looked at it i was just like oh that's that's a bit like that's the kind of like just daft stupid kind of thing that I want mm -hmm. um so we did like we went through quite quickly we went through like a few um kind of mood boards on it and just like kind of picking picking um exactly like what kind of level of like um like how, like <laughs> yeah basically <laughs> but like there's, there's sort of like thickness like the thickness of the the sort of outlines and like of, of like the, the um versus and like the sort of like how vibrant the colors would be and all of that kind of stuff um but yeah i mean really like really really quickly like i was i was surprised at how quickly we came like we honed in on the right art like the main character in it like i've there's a sketch that joe did of two two main characters and two enemies mm -hmm. and the main character like it's so the main character that we've got in the game Hector um he was one of those first sketches like he nailed him almost immediately and the only diff the only thing was Joe thought that that was the sort of like mentor character like the mm -hmm. sort of, like the sort of like old guy that would help you as like this young rookie right. learn your way um but I just thought it was like, I thought it was much funnier to have like a, a main character that was again, like more of this. Um, I don't know if you know the film Arachnophobia, but like this mm -hmm. kind of um, John Goodman in Arachnophobia, he's like 
just like this big guy suited up like <laughs> treating fighting spiders as if it's like a like like a really dangerous job kind of thing and like really like really wanted that kind of thing where it's like it's I think the main character is kind of a mix between like him and Homer Simpson and SpongeBob. Like we've got quite a lot of SpongeBob in there. Like we wanted the kind of the enthusiasm that SpongeBob has for like his job, which is which is um, again like SpongeBob's job is like just working in like a, a fast food place. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, but he has just like this massive enthusiasm for his job and like we always wanted that for our main character as well it's like mm -hmm. like in in the game's world ghosts aren't anything special particularly like all of the people that you rescue mm -hmm. uh, kind of give out at you that it's like okay you, you took ages to rescue me I've missed my day or I'm going to be late for watching what's on tv tonight so like but we wanted the, the character just to be like so excited by his job and then we still spongebob again with the like the, the boss character is absolutely 100 percent mr krabs um, <laughs> which we just like it's exactly the same character we just changed what it looks like but it's again it's this grumpy little penny pinching tiny yeah. little guy that just sits and shouts at you a lot um but yeah like the the, the art on it really came together like super quickly and we um joe was fantastic on it and like his, he has just like this really nice animation style where it's all like squishy and squashy and everything bounces and like it's kind of, it really fits super well with like the kind of gunky, ghosty kind of vibe as well. Um, and yeah, like it's just like, like I said, like I, I was really surprised at just how quickly like all of the art on it, we mm -hmm. went from like I mean we went we went from basically my prototype and then in about two months of work we yeah. had a version that we took to Eurogamer um and showed to the public like because okay. like cool. it had that amount of art in it and it was just mm -hmm. like yeah this is fine we'll show this to the public and see what people think um so yeah it was it was pretty pretty quick I've got to say <laughs> no that is that's quite a quick turnaround um Two months um but no i mean i think the characters that they do feel your, your main character does feel very distinct and unique and you know when you mentioned john goodman there i haven't seen arachnophobia because of arachnophobia um but <laughs> <laughs> i mean immediately when you mentioned the name i know exactly what you're kind of you know referring to and what you're inferring there so and uh, for someone who's played it i think they'll be able to kind of infer that that yeah they can make that association that that was you know understand the inspiration um gary what about autonauts because again a very sort of vibrant distinct world and very for anyone who's familiar with the Denki games very Denki-esque yeah it did, didn't come together quite as quickly um <laughs> we did uh, a, a series of prototypes um at the beginning um and didn't really mess around with the visual style that much because we weren't sure where we were going with it or even if it was going to be worth pursuing mm -hmm. um I think that was just a, a case of trial and error and just trying out all sorts of different things I mean we because there's only two of us we couldn't really afford to go too far with um with the art and the and the animation but equally we didn't want to go too far with it so the animation style for example is is very distinctively it's not kind of stop motion but it's got that that energy that stop motion can have where um it's it's very jerky and and quick um and that was that was deliberate that was a style that uh, we both liked mm -hmm. um <clears throat> so we fed into that the, the sort of blocky style, um, 
we tend to block stuff out really quickly as part of the dev process anyway. So everything has a sort of, um, we try to use very appropriate placeholders that are like a sort of squinty version, I guess, of, of where you may end up. Um, but it's primarily boxes and, and simple, simple shapes. Mm-hmm. But they're sort of representative or we, we sort of pretend they are. Um, so it sort of evolved from there. And I, I, have, a, I have a very blocky style, um, which uh, I tend to use over the years in, in sprite form. And this is the first time I've, I've well, sort of ventured into doing the same sort of thing in, in polys. Um, it grew from there. We didn't really have any, I think we found it really hard to figure out where we were going visually with it. So we were, we think it was kind of a bit Animal Crossing-y and it's, mm-hmm. um, it's not really Minecraft-y and it's not really a voxel thing. And I think we just sort of went around in circles, um, but, but upwards rather than, <laughs> rather than just around in a circle. Um, so sort of an upside down tornado, I guess. <laughs> Um, and it sort of ended up where it ended up. Um, I, I like where it ended up as well. It's got a, as you say, it's got a very, it's, it's very much like a Denki game, but equally at the same time, it's not that much like a Denki game. Um, but I think there's also quite a lot of energy in the, well, I think one of the best comments someone's made about the way it looks is they said, oh, it didn't look that interesting. It looked a bit kind of, I don't know, a bit cheap and rubbish until I saw it actually played it and then realized there's so much energy in there. Um, yeah. And it is a bit like that. The screenshots are, quite deceptive I think once you play it it's and it's not just sort of animation or movement I think it's just the overall package the way it, it sort of works it's um I think it's got a really strong consistency which I think helps mm-hmm. and did you sorry all right I was just going to ask you know like uh, I mean you mentioned that the game took about three years to come to fruition and during that development process did you you know like um did you have a community where you shared the prototype with and got feedback on or, or was it very much sort of under wraps yeah, to uh, yes and no um <clears throat> the initial prototyping which was done over the course of 21 weeks um and we basically did a version new version every week mm-hmm. um we couldn't really afford to go too far with the art style but we were more interested in figuring out you know what whether there was any mileage in the concept what sort of things people related to when they played it so you know, how it looked was less of an issue how it played was the key there mm-hmm. um and so as part of that dev process, we just took, we learned every week from, from the uh, versions we put out there. Um, and that shaped the way it played. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, we always knew the core of where we were going with it. It's just, there are so many things you could do with it. We weren't entirely sure which way to go with it. So again, as part of the dev process, we're, we're constantly trying out different things um, and seeing which sticks. Um, and as part of that sort of rapid iteration, rapid prototyping, um, and doing it through, uh, we did it through itch.io at first. Okay. Um, I think Discord was fairly new, so we weren't too sure about how to go with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the itch.io community was superb as well. So um, plenty of, of people feeding back into that. We set up various channels and shared documentation and um, spreadsheets and bug lists and feature lists and so on with, with the community and, and let them feed into it. Um, which was great because they, they mostly name check people if their their ideas got uh, moved forward and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that as a shaping process was incredibly useful, but not visually. As I say, it was it was purely about function. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and beyond that, we didn't share any of the other sort of subsequent um, proper development, as it were, publicly. Um, and I think it's 
I think it's because we wanted to sort of focus on getting a version together that we could get a publisher behind. Mm -hmm. uh, we did look at self-publishing at one point. We also looked at doing a, a, um, a Kickstarter campaign as well, um, which got really strong interest initially. And we were we just couldn't convert the it a really fantastic um, conversion rate of people uh, who were investing in it. We just couldn't get more people through the door to <laughs> convert, sadly. Uh -huh. um, so yeah, it, it's been such a sort of roller coaster of, of getting things done that we've not really, um, it, it's, it's really been bookended by um, sharing it with, with the audience. So the prototyping phase at the beginning was, was all about the sharing. Mm -hmm. And since it's launched, it's all about the sharing. So we have kept sort of sharing um, what we're up to with the, with the community. And did you ever yeah, think that it would have this? I was, uh, did you ever have this like did you know at that point you know that it would have this appeal for kids and you know that that learning element would be something that would come no I don't think we did um and again I, I guess it's typical of, of how we've developed things over the years we tend to get stuff done quickly so that you've got something tangible to to play with um and they're kind of more of a sort of universal game we've never really made anything that's that's sort of vile or vulgar or unpleasant it's always been about making nice stuff mm -hmm. um so, I mean, that ethos carries through with, with Autonauts, um, possibly more so in that we, we there's no, um, actually there is fishing. So there is a little bit of pescatarian game, um, but there's no, there's no violence towards the, the um, life forms in the game. Um, and even the fishing is done tastefully. Um, in fact, even the sashimi from the fish is done fairly tastefully. But um, we just we decided fairly on it. There was no nice way of doing um, a, a burger chain, for example. Yeah. Um, so we, we kind of avoided a lot of that. Um, it's just it's just a there's a, there's enough of that going on in the world that you don't really want to feed into it any more than than you can possibly help it. Mm -hmm. uh, and I know personally, you know, there there is a, there is a place for games that that are the other side of the autonomous coin, as it were. But um, I think certainly as, as I've got older and I'm, I'm a parent, um, you, you you don't really want so much of that stuff. Yeah. You want less of that in the world, not more. And you don't really want to be contributing towards it either. I mean, I think it's quite interesting that all three games don't have, you know, violence, which which kind of says a lot. Um, and was that something, I mean, I know you've, you've said that you, didn't, you, you don't want that being a parent's on, but I mean, Tom, Tony, is that something that was kind of a conscientious thing or was it just something that happened by way of, you know, trying different things out? Um, yeah, I mean, so in terms of Dead and Job, like, well, so funny enough, the, the very original version of Dead and Job. So the other game that Dead and Job is quite inspired by is uh, Luigi's Mansion. All right, yep. Um, which is essentially, again, it's it's similar Ghostbusters thing of this guy's running around a place and hoovering up ghosts. Um, and so like the very original version of Dead End Job didn't have shooting in it at all. You were just running around and hoovering ghosts mm -hmm. up. It just felt, it wa like wasn't quite as satisfying to play. Um, mm -hmm. And it had, it did end up with like a, in in a design sense. So the um, the unfortunate or possibly one of the reasons that guns are in a lot of games is because it's really easy to see what you're doing with a gun. So um, what we found was with a vacuum, if you weren't actually sucking, mm -hmm. 
like it's it's hard to tell how far your vacuum reaches and how wide your vacuum reaches and like whether a particular enemy is is going to be like within that kind of cone when you start um using your vacuum whereas what you immediately get with with like the the sort of plasma gun that we put into it is as soon as you fire you can see how far that bullet's going and where it's going to and like and and you kind of get that effect off of it um so it yeah kind of and i mean and, and again like to be honest um the putting the guns into it allowed us to rip off ghostbusters even more that you you're kind of shooting the enemies and until they get into this kind of stunned mm -hmm. state and then you run over to them and vacuum them up um it it definitely um I I mean, it pleased me a bit that it was like, yeah, we were leaning a bit more on the Ghostbusters side of things. Mm. Um, and, and, and again, in, in, in gameplay terms, like kind of the ability to stun the enemies meant that we could get kind of like slightly different behaviours and enemy, like some enemies that are more difficult to stun or like that, like if you, if you stun them and then you leave them a little bit, they kind of, they, they come back and they get angry and then it's like, you're fighting against like a sort of souped up version. Um, but yeah, like it, it was, it was always an intention. Um, and I like, I'm, I'm not sure whether the same as Gary, whether it's like with being a parent or, or not, but there's certainly, there's always an intention of, um, it's a game that I would be more than happy to have my kids sit. Like I've, I've got quite young kids, um, but I'd be more than happy for them to sort of sit and, and play it. and certainly like when I was working on it at, at points like my son comes in and sort of chats about like oh daddy are you working on your your ghost game and can I have a look at it and mm -hmm. what, what's what what the enemy is doing now and that kind of thing um it's like really nice I mean so my background like the sort of the biggest company that I worked at before starting out by myself was uh, Rockstar and obviously you cannot allow a seven-year-old to um, to have any awareness of what you're doing when you work for that company. Um, so yeah, it was like uh, it's certainly like with with Ant Workshop, it has always been a kind of like binaries. Our first game um, that like that was non-violent as well, and like yeah, Dead End Job had like had this intention of not it's they're not necessarily children's games because there's certainly some um risky humor and jokes and stuff in there um but yeah definitely that it would it would be something where if if a kid was playing it you wouldn't feel particularly yes um, you wouldn't it's feel like a terrible button. parent for allowing that to happen and, and that's uh, like and i think like as, as a yeah, like as a company that is kind of i think that's quite strong in our ethos like all of the all of the kind of next project stuff that we're looking at and and working on all of it is stuff where it's like yeah again like not necessarily mm -hmm. a chat again not necessarily a kid's game mm -hmm. but that is just kind of by by coincidence it it is yeah sort of family friendly, friendly yeah yeah I think it's hilarious that I was just sitting listening to you talk there, Tony, and I've been like following Dead End Job for a wee while now. Um, and <laughs> just when you were talking about Ghostbusters, I just went dead, dead end, ghost, dead end. Ah, okay. <laughs> I'm just very, very, it's very. It's a small. joke in the name. Very, <laughs> yeah, very see, that, slow. That, that's the pun. 
that's that's the the gag right there in the name. Uh, yeah. um, it, unf unfortunately, you see, I'm, I was super pleased with that name when we came up with it. It was like this is it, it works in two different ways. That's fantastic. <laughs> um, unfortunately, it's rubbish as a game name for the like your Twitter search feed. Like it just gets the the worst. It's a phrase that <laughs> oh, yeah. people will only ever use pejoratively <laughs> against other people's jobs that they're trying to look down on, unfortunately. So, yeah, it's not so great from that point of view. I'm sure everyone else got the joke, joke except me, though. So, uh, I mean, um, for us with Cloudpunk, um, Marco had, uh, I think, a prototype before I even joined the project that was... Um, had some shooting in it and he just felt it didn't work mechanically mm -hmm. um, but I think whenever we started talking about the content of the game and how exciting it would be to to make a game that was um, non-violent we started to see that thematically that was really exciting as well uh, like Tony was saying when you've got a gun you've got really clear communication mm -hmm. between the game designer and the player about what happens you shoot and there's a bullet hole in the wall or a bullet hole in the person that you're aiming the gun at um, and it's very direct method of interacting with the game world. When you don't like a character, you make them go away with your gun. Um, and we thought there was lots of interesting kind of interactions that we could look at when you have to deal with those people. Mm -hmm. Like you have to, in real life, when you meet people that you don't like. And um, Rani, I mean, it's a lot of people that she doesn't like in, in Navalis, and it's, a, it's in some ways a really difficult place to work, just mm -hmm. like the real world does. Um, and she can't just shoot them with a gun and make them go away. It's really interesting to hear both Gary and Tony talk about like parenthood feeling into their um, game design process as well. I've got a 10-month-old now, um, and I guess she came into the world quite a long while, well, a little while after we'd already decided to make a non-violent game. Um, I am glad that I made a game that doesn't have lots of shooting and killing people in it, um, although it's not completely free of violence. Um, but more so now that I have a daughter as well, I can totally see what they, they both mean by that. Um, that being said, Cloudpunk certainly deals with like really adult themes of kind of drug use and substance abuse and sex work. And um, yeah, it's, 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 we got hit with a mature rating, I think. Um, I should check that actually. I know that there was some kind of back and forth because there was drug use, but there was kind of questions about whether it was... Um, an option for the player or depicted in a positive way. I definitely don't think it is in the game because it's really hard to drive when you take lots of drugs. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I guess for, for us, it was um, started being non-violent from a gameplay perspective and a kind of mechanical way. But mm -hmm. it's definitely something that when we started talking about it, we, we really enjoyed the challenge of making it non-violent when it comes to mm -hmm. the, the theming and kind of the concept of the game and what it's all about. Mm -hmm. Make it, yeah, it's a, it's a different way to approach it, isn't it? And think of more kind of creative solutions to the various problems that the game world throws at you. Um, I'm just conscious of the time. I think we'll, there, there are a few questions that have been put forward. So I think what I'll do is just kind of ask a, a few of them and see how we're doing for time. So the first one is um, um, open to the floor here. If you were first starting out in the industry and you had specific stories you would like to tell, would you go into a big company or go the indie route? Tony, mm. I'll come to you. Yeah, I think. So, I, I always find this is a. I always find this a difficult question. Um, 
I think if you have very specific stories you would like to tell, you almost certainly won't get to do that in a big company. However, I think joining a big company, like if you are starting out in the industry, joining a big company is a great way to kind of learn your trade on while someone else is paying you to do that. I mean, certainly, I think there are a lot of things that having come from like a triple A background, the stuff that I learned there that absolutely helped Ant Workshop along its way. And and you learn, you meet other people and it kind of, it's it expands your network a bit. Um, however, the flip side of that, there's are three sides to that. Um, I think that kind of, I mean, it's it's one of those things of like it, 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 the I think they haven't sort of said how old they are, but like often if people are starting out in the industry, they might be um, a, a kind of just coming out of university or a bit younger, and perhaps not having significant commitments is a great time to try the indie thing. Like I think possibly hmm. possibly trying to do the indie thing later on in life might be more difficult. Mm-hmm. Yep. But no, I've, I've, got, I've got no, yeah, I've got, I've got no firm answer to that, to be honest. <laughs> Unfortunately, I, I always just find that a real, like that, that do, should you go indie or should you go triple A? I just find it a, an almost impossible question. That's yeah. It's so driven by personal experiences, isn't it? That it's, it's just what's come. Yeah. I mean, Gary, you've obviously had, you, you've obviously covered a lot of different things in your time in the industry and yeah. Um, you know, what would what would your, your advice be? Uh, tenacity is always useful. Um, <laughs> yeah, and that's one of the things that both the big company and the independents can throw at you. Uh, they can test your your resolve. Uh, do you really want to do this? I, th- I think the biggest thing for me, um, I've certainly learned and appreciated, is finishing things, and that's one of the best things about doing a magazine. Um, back in the old days with paper and dead trees um, is is the monthly grind that repetition is really important because you you get to refine your craft um, and it's one of the downsides of working for a larger company and it's one of the things that drove me mad was some of the games I worked on were five or six years in the making and mm-hmm. you know that that's a lot to it's uh, a lot of time to dedicate to one thing um, but the finishing I think is the important thing to do and and if you can get that chance to finish things. Mm-hmm. Um, Certainly as an employer, that's one of the things you I'm always looking for is how many things you've actually done, seen through from beginning to end. It's starting stuff um, can be incredibly straightforward for some people. Finishing is usually the hardest thing of all because um, that's the point where you get judged and can be judged. So, um, I mean, I, I got I got into, into the industry through luck and tenacity. Um, that's why I think tenacity is important. But as the, the, having samples of work having things to show that you've done and completed are incredibly useful um so you may not necessarily get that <laughs> you may not get that in either circumstance because if you're doing independent stuff there's no guarantee that you're going to drive yourself as tony said there's that that learning the trade is really useful other people can make the mistakes in the big company and if you're astute you can learn from their mistakes um which you can't do on your own if you're independent mm-hmm. so that that has its benefits However, if you're the kind of person who's just churning stuff out, so whether you're a writer or an artist or a game maker, um, if you're just making stuff and finishing it, then you might want to do the independent route yourself because you're going to learn a lot by 
finishing things, putting it out there. Um, I mean, I've, I'm still learning stuff. We learned a lot from doing Automos and it's not that you go into the swagger or, or the arrogance to say, well, I know everything because you, you don't and I know I don't. Um, but even I was surprised by the amount of things we learned from, from doing Autonauts. Um, so yeah, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bit of a crappy answer because you know both have their merits. Uh, I guess it's being aware of what those merits are and how they fit with you as a person and, and the kind of person you are. Um, also, if you, if, in terms of working with other people, you may not do that so, mm. it's really hard to do it tangibly these days, but working with other people, you get more chance to work with lots of different types of people and lots of different types of roles in a big company, which is really useful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think that there, there's one definitive way to kind of approach it. And I think that's very helpful advice that, you know, it's where you sort of fit in. Um, in, in the picture and how it relates to you. Um, so I hope um, that's answered your question. Um, I'm going to move on to the next one, uh, Tom, and this is for you. And um, uh, the question is, as someone who has written novels and games show off, what are the differences in your practice between both media? Um, I'll try and be dead quick because we're probably running out of time, aren't we? Um, I, I, collaborative work is different from individual work so all sorts of novel writing is different in the case of me uh, I wrote a series first and then found a publisher so I could write about whatever I wanted and you should probably write something that someone would want to read that's probably a good tip generally um, something that you shouldn't necessarily write something that you think you can market but something that you know, someone would want to read is always a, a good a good, good plan. Um, so whenever I was writing my fantasy trilogy, I just wrote a series about all the things that were most interesting to me. And I say that to writing students when I talk to them, when you write everything that you're interested in should come out, you know, it will naturally, it's like therapy, all your little micro obsessions are right there. So when I write novels, all the weird things that I'm into all come out in the book and it's just me and I'm responsible for that. And that, that's just, yeah. Um, when you work in a team, uh, if you work on games, you're probably not going to be a solo developer, although people that do that with small teams or, or teams of one are absolutely amazing. Um, but you're probably going to be working with other people. So that means collaborative working. And that means like bouncing ideas back and forward, which is incredibly exciting if you've only ever worked by yourself. And there's advantages to each. The writing by yourself is just you and you get nothing else to kind of bounce off and you just keep yourself motivated kind of like Gary was saying with a, an indie project it's still all mm. under your own steam and if you're working with a game dev you're probably working with other people and the amazing thing about games for me is that games are a blend of all the types of art that I love so their design their puzzle their music their art their story I mean it's just they're such wonderful things and if you can't get inspired by the other talented people in your game development team then like I don't know you're dead um i will uh, i think uh, the next question is for both tony and gary and what i'm going to do is maybe just keep an eye on the time and see if you can answer this in a minute each um so as people who run smaller studios how do you decide that this is the project you're going to take to market um it must be a bit of a gamble and that's such a crucial moment do you trust your gut do you show prototypes to pals and wait to see which one gets folks excited tony um, yeah, I mean, basically, so that like the kind of that's the stage that we're at uh, right now with our next thing is like we it was it's a concept and an idea that as soon as we sort of chatted to people about it, they've been interested, um, then we made like a, a, a small prototype of it and kind of showed that to some people and see how that went. And then it's like you kind of do that just in stages 
Um, and then like we, we made a, a slightly bigger prototype and showed that to some people. And then we got a whole load of feedback of like, oh, it's not quite doing what I expected and all of these kind of things. So it's like, so then we've kind of taken a step back and like, okay, how are we going to change those things and what are we going to, what are we going to do next? Um, but yeah, I mean, certainly I think there's, it is the difficulty and it is, I mean, it's, yes, it is the gamble of like, have we, are we continuing with a particular thing just because of um, sunk cost and like that we think that it's cool or are we continuing with it because it genuinely can be good and at what point do you kind of give up on something? But yeah, I mean, I, I think I think the only way to realistically do that is kind of make something that's playable as quick as you can and get other people, <laughs> get it into other people's hands and people that don't have to be nice to you <laughs> and, and the way you want them to either yeah yeah oh yeah yeah i like i mean so i mean that and that's one of the good things about everyone being so distributed now it's like it's really easy just to to send someone a build and go play that and tell me what you think of it and then like you're not stood over their shoulder going no, 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 no you're not doing that oh, just, don't wait like, give me the controller i'll show you how you, like and you just get people will tell you like, oh, I didn't realise that I could do this or this isn't quite what I expected or, or whatever, really. It's much easier to share now than it used to be, which I think is the important thing, and, and to share in a meaningful way. So you've got things like Discord, which is a brilliant way of, of sort of measuring um, and and um, disseminating and, and dealing with any of the feedback. Um, you've got itch, you've got these other channels that you never had before. There's a directness with an audience that you never ever had before, which is really useful. But equally, that comes with its own problems as well. In that you know you've released too much too soon, or you um, nobody really perceives the thing that you you've put out there as what you thought it was. <laughs> but these these things are valid exercises as well. So as Tony says, the sooner you, you can get something out there and in people's hands, the better. I think avoiding people you know is is useful because they generally, I think, giving it to people who are complete strangers with no expectations. Um, no caveats preferably as well you just play it there it is off you go if they hate it they hate it but being able to see them play it is really useful um, as much as metrics have their place watching people and seeing how what they do and why they do it and trying to understand why they're playing your game the way they are that's incredibly useful it is it's definitely very very helpful knowing that and you're and you don't say anything and you just watch them in yeah, action it's, it's definitely very helpful i'm afraid that's all we've got time for um, um so once again thank you for joining us and goodbye thank you <laughs>